We're going to start in Luke chapter 1 this morning. It'll be on the screen for you to follow along a little bit. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. The historical Catholic Church calls this the Annunciation, where Gabriel visits Mary to tell her that God is going to make her pregnant with his son. And it is the subject of many classical paintings in history and artists trying to envision what this might have looked like. And you can see the style of each historical period in these paintings to us, things that look funny like the halos and unrealistic, but in classical art, they're trying to do more than just the subject of the painting. They're, they're designing the, the visual piece. Each individual historical period, you can tell that one is from the 15, 1600s after the Renaissance. Things got much less flat, but still we have this very unreal life, unrealistic looking poses and interaction and even the room itself to see how People have, in history, have envisioned these things. But a hundred years ago, we get this. This is in a museum in Philadelphia. And I, I think that's an interesting painting. Mary's room is presented very historically accurate. Here's this woman not in a pious pose, but a timid one. And this glowing light before her. is the only painting that I found that didn't paint Gabriel as a as a human-looking angel, I don't know. Maybe it was just a light with a voice. But I find that interesting, and I wanted that picture in your head as we move forward with this scripture. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting was this. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. I would like us all to say that out loud just to get it in our head because we're coming back to this. God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, of his kingdom there will be no end. The old Moravian translation says his kingdom will have no frontier. Quoting Isaiah. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon her come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. I want to highlight the word overshadow, and I want to remind you of what I told you last Sunday, that that word overshadow is only used two times in the New Testament, and uh, the other times it's in three Gospels at the transfiguration of Christ where he glowed brighter than the sun on the mountaintop in front of Peter, James, and John, and said that a cloud came and overshadowed Jesus. It's the Shekinah glory that in the Old Testament was the pillar of fire. It's, it's the visible light fire of God. And the angel Gabriel tells Mary, the light, the light of God, the fire of God will overshadow you, envelop your entire body. Just, it's the exact same word as what happened to Jesus, where he shone brighter than the sun, and James and Peter and John couldn't even look at him and said his, his clothes were whiter than, than any bleach could have gotten it. He was just super bright. And this same word happens to Mary. Also, the Holy One which is, who is in you will be called the Son of God. 
Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for whom who, her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I'd like us to say Mary's response out loud again also. Behold, the married servant of the Lord, and let it be to me according to your word. Yeah, so there's two sentences or phrases in this passage that I want to highlight for a moment. And, and the throne of his father David. So Jesus is the spiritual descendant of David. He inherited the throne that David, God promised David, you will have a son sit on the throne for all of eternity. And he didn't mean Solomon. And lots of David's sons were evil. And God killed them. And eventually God destroyed the whole kingdom. Just took them out. Brought in the Babylonians and said, you're done. So when God promised David, you'll have a son sit on the throne forever, obviously he means Jesus. Jesus is the spiritual inheritor of the throne of David, but Jesus is the physical descendant of David because both Joseph and Mary are descendants of David. And it gets mentioned, but sort of in passing in the Christmas story and sermons and songs that Joseph and Mary are of the house of David and the family of David, and that's why they have to go to Bethlehem and so on. But, but I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that Joseph and Mary are literally a prince and princess. They are. In, in every factual, literal, true way, Joseph should have been king. He is the direct descendant of all of the kings of the Old Testament. Just like seven or eight generations before, Nebuchadnezzar had come in and destroyed the kingdom, and then and they live in Babylon for 70 years, and there's no king. And then Ezra and Nehemiah come back, and there's a great-grandson of Jeconiah named Zerubbabel that everybody hopes is going to be king, but God does not reestablish the kingdom. And then there's 400 years of time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament where Alexander the Great conquered Israel and then they were ruled by empire after empire and then eventually the Romans come in and there is no kingdom. But Joseph, if there had been a kingdom, Joseph would have been king. You can read his genealogy in Matthew and you can see he is the direct descendant. He is literally a prince. But things have gone so bad in the last 500 years I mean, 500 years is a long time. Things have gone so bad that he is a carpenter peasant. Joseph is a prince and a peasant. And so is his son. And Mary is a direct descendant of King David through a different line. Her great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Solomon's older brother, Nathan. So she's not from the line of kings, but she's absolutely, completely royal, but a peasant. Things have gone so wrong historically for the nation. Things have gone so wrong spiritually and therefore historically that the royal family are now peasants that ride donkeys and don't have a home. And the man who should be king of Israel, Joseph, Works with a plane and a brace. And they knew that. This is really important. They knew precisely who they were. 
because the genealogies are in Matthew and in Luke. Joseph's genealogy is in Matthew, Mary's genealogy is in Luke. They knew exactly whose father was whose father, whose father, whose father, all the way back to King David. In our day, our families are so broken that we've lost a lot of our knowledge of our family history, but Jewish people, they know precisely who, all the way back to Abraham, they have it down, and every family knows. And so when Mary hears, he will inherit the throne of his father David, her ears pick up. Oh, 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 what is this? Is this, is this what I think it is? Yeah. At this point, I just want to, I just want to point out that Joseph and Mary are peasants. They're royal peasants, as is their son. That is the, the perfect way to describe Jesus. He's the king of the universe who made himself the servant of all. The lowest nothing. And then I also want to highlight out of this Luke 1 passage, Mary's response to Gabriel, be it unto me according to your word. Other translations, I'm the Lord's maid ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. And another translation, I am his servant. I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. I am his servant. I accept whatever he has for me. That's pretty amazing, instant humility. And I know I highlighted this last week, but I can't get away from it. I tried. <laughs> I just, I cannot get away from surrender. She instantly surrenders completely. And she knows what this means. In the family, in society, in, in the town, she knows what shame and rejection this means to be pregnant before she's married. She knows, but, but the, that, the angel mentioned something about the throne of our ancestor David. Something. that There was something in there. I, I remember it. <laughs> I was, I was shaking quite badly, but I remember distinctly he said something about the throne of his father, David. Mary's submission is so instant and so complete as she says this sentence that historically the church, and historically there was just one Catholic church before the Reformation, the people in the church have been astonished at Mary's instant willingness, instant Submission, instant surrender, yielding, that um, people had a hard time believing that a normal person could do this, could respond to God this instantly, this completely. Yes, God, whatever you want to do with me. Um, so there's the, there's the Catholic teaching that Mary never sinned, that she was created from her, in her mother's womb, that she was immaculately conceived, born without sin heard the term immaculate conception. I'm not here to pick on the Catholics, but the Catholics believe that, that, G, that Mary never sinned. She was born outside of sin, and when they use the term immaculate conception, they don't mean Jesus, they mean Mary. That she couldn't have instantly and fully submitted unless she was already sinless. That she lived in a permanent state of grace and that was, was sinless all of her life. 
But that teaching of the Catholic Church is actually relatively new. It wasn't even made official until 1850. But none of that's in the Bible. What we have here is just a real, normal, everyday, I'll call her a girl, because she is, maybe 15, 16, who's just amazingly humble, has a pretty dramatic, terrifying experience. I think if you had an angel show up in your dark bedroom glowing like the sun, you would say yes, sir, to what he said to. <laughs> what the rest of us might not do is live it out after he's gone. We might talk ourselves out of the obedience, but um, Mary didn't. But I'll bet we'd all say, yes, sir. We just have a normal, everyday girl who was just so beautifully humble that God picked her to be mother of his son. And in this next year, she has many supernatural experiences. At some point, the Bible doesn't describe it actually happening, but at some point that overshadowing happened where the Shekinah glory cloud of God came onto her body and Jesus was put in her womb. She goes and visits Elizabeth, her cousin, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist in his mother's womb senses the presence of the Christ in his mother's womb and leaps for joy and Elizabeth prophesies and Mary is overcome by the Holy Spirit and prophesies, sings a spontaneous song called the Magnificat. Then Joseph has his dreams confirming that he's not supposed to divorce Mary. No, Mary didn't cheat on you. She actually is still a virgin and this actually is me. It's not just her excusing. And then the birth comes and the shepherds show up talking of angels singing and the sky lighting up in the night and that had to be pretty amazing and yeah. shocking. A confirmation that we're not crazy. <laughs> maybe, we, maybe everybody is, but you know, we're not making this up. And it says that the, the entire town of Bethlehem wondered at what the shepherd said. But Mary just pondered it all in her heart. And then some point later, these foreign magi speaking a different language come and and they bow down in front of my child and call him king. I remember something the angel said about inheriting the throne of his father David. I remember, I remember something. There was that line in there somewhere. I was pretty scared, but, but he did say that, I'm pretty sure. And then it gets confirmed by the magi. And then eight days later, they go to the temple. And Pastor Josh, a couple Sundays ago, told you the story of Simeon and Anna in the temple when Jesus was circumcised in Luke 2. There's this man named Simeon who was very old, and the Lord had told him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And he is taken by the Holy Spirit into the temple the day that Jesus is being circumcised at eight days old. And he finds Joseph and Mary and just purely by faith, following the Holy Spirit, not knowing this. I mean, there's a whole bunch of boys there that day to be, to be circumcised. Jesus isn't the only one, but he knows exactly which baby to grab. And, and he prophesies over Jesus. And then we, at the end of this passage, we get to what Simeon says to Mary. Luke 2, 33 to 35. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, 
that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And I want to highlight, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And I want to uh, submit to you that I think, out of the, all of the story of Jesus' birth, I think that is the most supernatural sentence in the entire story. More than the angels in the sky, more than the star, even maybe more than Mary's supernatural pregnancy. And we'll get to that, but a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So Mary has this season, this year, that is extremely supernatural, spiritual, wild stuff happening. People prophesying over her baby and and a visit of an angel to her bedroom, a visit of the Shekinah glory of God to her bedroom, and and Joseph's dreams, and the star, and the angels, and, and then stuff gets really dramatic with Herod trying to kill the babies, and Joseph's having more dreams, and we have to run for our lives, and And then at some point, they get to go back home after Herod dies, and they get to live in Nazareth again, finally. And then everyday life begins. Again, the Catholic Church teaches that Mary was perpetually a virgin, never had any more children, but the Bible specifically lists six more, four other brothers, and it says, and sisters. So Mary had at least seven children. The other reason she's not a perpetual virgin is because it says in Matthew that Joseph did not know her until she brought forth her child. Joseph and Mary had a normal marriage from there on, and it was everyday life, and it's cooking and cleaning and sewing and changing diapers, changing Jesus' diapers. That's a wild thought. <laughs> We're not told really any of his childhood and any, any of his 20s, he's... We don't know. But we can know that some things, Mary saw some supernatural stuff. Some things were clearly different about this boy that she's raising. Because when he's 30 years old, there's a family wedding. And at the wedding, they run out of wine. And Mary says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus is like, why are you telling me? He knows why she's telling him. But she ignores his refusal to respond and goes to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. John 2, 5, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus is like, mom, it's not my time. There's some amazing vibe between the two of them where she has seen some really wild stuff that he has done privately at home in the family or whatever, just private conversations they've had, things she's seen him do. She knows we don't need to go buy more wine. He can do this. And he clearly doesn't want to do a public miracle yet. But she just ignores that. It goes to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Where else can you get the entire Bible in one sentence? Do whatever he tells you. I mean, if you don't know any other Bible verse in the entire book, memorize this one. Do whatever he tells you. I mean, this is, this is the gospel. 
That's salvation. That's the will of God. That's universal history. Do whatever he tells you. Mary is, is the first one to preach the gospel. Do whatever he tells you. And it's amazing. I'm going to run down a little uh, rabbit trail here, but it's just, just for fun. It's amazing that in one sentence, God can put something so simple, so plain, so few words. What, five words? God can talk to every single human being in history about every verse in the Bible in five words. If all of us obey this, none of us end up the same. We're still all snowflakes. I mean, it's just, it just struck me how amazing this is that in five words, Mary puts in the greatest state, one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture. And if all of us were to perfectly obey it, which we don't, but if all of us were, we would, none of us would end up the same. We'd still all just be us walking with God. And I did the math on this, and I want to show you. There are 31,102 Bible verses, and there have been 10 billion people. There's 8 plus billion alive now, 2 billion throughout history, times 10 billion people. If all of us obeyed every single Bible verse only once, that's 311 trillion combinations of how our lives could turn out. I told you it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's just, (laughs) just do whatever he tells you. And it will make you more you than you have ever been. And it will make him more king than he's ever been. Okay, so back to the scripture, just for fun, just for fun. Do whatever he tells you is one of the most important Bible verses ever. Mary has faith. This This is my main point. Mary has lived everyday life, but she's also lived a supernatural life. But she has she has some faith, and Jesus responds to his to his mother. But then things begin to go sideways. And over the next two and a half years, her son, from 30 to 32 years old, he goes wandering around the countryside telling everybody he's God. He doesn't raise an army. He doesn't do anything kingly. He doesn't do anything princely. He goes off to be a rabbi, but he's not teaching the scriptures. He's just telling, he's doing miracles and loving people, but he's, he's cracked. He's telling people he's God, and he's talking, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Son, what are you doing? Son, what is wrong with you? So there's a day, I don't have the scripture for you, but there's a day where Mary grabs Jesus' four younger brothers, who are all in their 20s. We got to go get him. He's lost it. And they come. It's in the story where the house is so full, they have to pull the roof off and let the guy down with the ropes. And it's in that story where, where they, can't get into the, they can't get into the house, but he's told, your mother and brothers are out here to get you. She really, truly believed he was off his rocker. And we got to put him away. Because who goes around saying they're God? It's not just embarrassing and shameful, it's blasphemous. And what is his response in that moment? I have no mother. Beginning of the tip of the sword. He won't go out and see her. He says, I have no brother, I have no mother, and I have no brothers, except you right here in the room. My disciples. He rejects his mom. He does not do what she wants. And then over the next six to nine months, 
He just becomes more confrontational, pushes the envelope more and more in public. He says things to provoke the Pharisees, things that are going to provoke the Romans. And Mary is there. You can see it as you read all four Gospels together in sort of a timeline. You see Mary is there around the whole story. She's watching, and her, her heart's got to be breaking. It's desperate. Son, this is not the way you build a kingdom. This is, this is not the way you're going to get the throne of your father David. You're ruining it, son. You're ruining it. The angel said. The magi said. The angel said. The shepherd said. And you're not sane. And then he pushes it so far that they arrest him and they beat him up. And they flog him to the point that Isaiah ahead of time prophesied he was not recognizable as human. That's terrible for a mother to see. I mean, somebody could be injured pretty bad and still be recognizable as human. But Isaiah says he didn't even appear human. They beat him so badly. And Mary watches that. And she remembers 33 years ago, there was an ancient man that said a sword would enter my own heart. And it did. It's the death of all her hopes. It's the death of the promises, the prophecies. She remembers what Gabriel told her. She remembers what the shepherds said, the other angels said. She remembers what she prophesied to Elizabeth. She remembers what Elizabeth said about John, but now Elizabeth's son is also dead. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Our family's coming apart. The prophecies are dying. and are... What is this, God? And while hanging from the cross, pulls his mom specifically over there at, with John and says, John, you take care of her. You treat her, you, you treat her like she's your mother. She is John's aunt. John is her nephew. He did not explain. Mom, it's going to be okay in three days. He did not explain that. He had said it several times. She had heard that. I will die and I will be raised three days later. But in the circumstance, he did not remind her of the timeline. He does that to me too, you know. Like, I got a book full of promises, but when I'm in it and I am freaking out, he does not say, oh, this just will be over in two weeks. Just trust me. I just have to remember the promises. He doesn't explain it to her. He just lets her go through all of that pain. But then three days later, <laughs> three days later, she finds out, he's alive! He's alive! My son is alive? What is that? We know that she knows, for sure we know that she knows, because 40 days after the resurrection, she is specifically named as being on the top of the mountain when Jesus ascends into heaven. It, it says, the disciples and Mary, his mother. She is named specifically. We can know that she met him after the resurrection and that that sword pierce in her heart was healed. That she 
got to see him and hug him and weep together. And he explained, I have inherited the throne of my father, David. The whole thing, the entire story, every day of it, mom, every day, the supernatural and the diaper changes and all your cooking and sewing and you're pressuring me to push me out into public ministry and you thinking I'm crazy and all that I did, Lord, all that I did, mom, it was all the plan and you were part of it. And thank you for surrendering to my father. Thank you for surrendering to the will of my Father. Thank you for saying, God, you write the script of my life. And the last time Mary is specifically mentioned is in Acts. The apostles and Mary, his mother, were in the upper room. When the flames of fire and the wind of Pentecost blew through, and 33 and a half years after she birthed him, he birthed her. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think she's the only one in the room. She's the only one of the 150 in the upper room at Pentecost who can say, oh, I remember this. I recognize this. This is awesome. This is the Holy Spirit of God. Flames of fire. Y'all are freaking out. I've seen this before. I had this happen once, 33 years ago. Yeah. And because Mary, from that first moment, said, God, whatever you say is what I want. Because that was her instant response, that's where she ends up. Born again, filled with the Spirit, embracing her resurrected son. I just submit to, uh, that that's probably the wise response for us too. I ju- and I know you all know this, you all see it, but Mary did not know what she was surrendering to when she surrendered. She didn't know. Gabriel told her some, but it was a year later before she heard, and a sword's going to be in your own heart. And so there was another choice, to surrender again. Come on, you all know that. You know that when we surrender, we never know what we're in for. I mean, did you know what you were in for at your wedding? <laughs> did, you, did you know what you were in for when you gave birth? I mean, come on. It's really happy, glorious God moments, but it also leads to a sword. Anybody who's a parent knows that. Anybody who's married knows that. You've bought a business and you're all excited and all of a sudden, like, oh, dear God, what was I signing up for? Every day, it's a choice to say, God, you write the story, not me. May it be to me according to your word. The reason I say that I think the sentence of Simeon, a sword will enter your own heart, is the most important sentence and even probably the most supernatural sentence in the entire Christmas story is because the moment that happened is Mary standing beneath her son hanging on the cross. If that hadn't happened, none of the rest matters. Jesus' death on the cross is the, is the most sword moment of Mary's life. If that hadn't happened, all the rest of it becomes pointless or powerless or lifeless. The prophecies and the glory and the angels and the supernatural and the overshadowing and all of that led to 
the sword in her own heart. Here's the three sentences I want you to get out of today. Let it be to me according to your word. Lord, you write the script. You, you write the story of my life, not me. Whatever you write, I'm okay with God. A sword will enter your own heart. But do whatever he says. Those three sentences, in that order, just like in Mary's life, is what I want in my life and what I want for your life. Lord, whatever you want, that means a sword. I'll do whatever you say. And I know the end of the story is being filled with the Spirit of God. Finding Jesus alive, resurrected, we embrace, we cry it all out. I begin to understand what I thought was crazy and wrong. And you fill me with your spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for the story of your mother. Thank you for all that you did in her and to her and for her. And the model, the type that that is for us. So Jesus, we, we take her words and make them ours. We own them this morning, Lord. Here I am, your servant. May it be to me according to your word. You are the one scripting our lives. We are not. It is only for us to surrender, to yield, to submit, and say yes. And Lord, we know that life will never be without pain. And obeying you doesn't fix all our problems. In fact, obeying you brings the sword a lot of times. But you, you tell us ahead of time, this is the way it's going to be. And in the end, it will all make sense. And it will all be made right. And so we own Mary's words that we will do whatever you tell us. We'll do whatever you say. It is the sentence of our life, Lord. We do whatever you say. Lord, in Jesus' name, I speak peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Peace to every heart in this room. That your peace would emanate through us into our families today and tomorrow.